Maybe you've heard the phrase that says something like this. um, Close only counts in what? Yeah, horseshoes and hand grenades. (laughs) The implication of that statement is that everything else is pretty much what? Black or white? Win or lose? In or out? There isn't any gray area. And I I really think, as I've studied this book of Romans here, and we find ourselves in chapter 5 today, I think in many ways that could apply to what Paul is trying to say in the book of Romans. Not that close is good, but that it is all in or not. It's black and white. There's not this grayish kind of area, the gospel. Because throughout the last few chapters, the Apostle Paul has been making the case that Absolutely no one qualifies for God's righteousness, not even the Jews. Yet he's also been making the case that the righteousness of Christ is given freely to all who believe, no matter if you're a Jew or not, no matter what your background is, you're invited to this new life, this gift of grace. And as we come to the closing passage of chapter 5, it really is the summation of the, the last four chapters, really. Let's read the first few verses of it. Chapter 5, verse 12 through 14 says this, Therefore, just as through one man sin entered the world, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. For until the law, sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed when there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam until Moses, even over those who had not sinned in the likeness of the offense of Adam, who was a type of him who was to come. One thing that becomes clear in not only this passage, but in the book of Romans, is that every human being is in one of two spiritual conditions. And it's this, you're either in Adam or you're in Christ. Again, there's no gray area, there's not a third option. You're either in Adam or you're in Christ. It's kind of like when a person dies, there's only two options, heaven or hell. There's not a third gray area. And I, I, would, I would assume that there's many people in the world today that say, well, I'm not really either one of those. I mean, they're their own person. They're not in somebody else. And when they think about this, even Christians, I've had this discussion with some that says, why should I today be held accountable for Adam's sin in the Garden of Eden? I wasn't there. I didn't do that. I didn't eat the apple. I didn't listen to her <laughs> like you did. Well, the answer is that because of the entry of sin into the world, it's been passed on from generation to generation. You have inherited the bent that was unleashed by the sinfulness of Adam. Verse 12 says, because we've all sinned. None of us qualifies in our own righteousness. The reality of what's being said here is not that this is so much about the sins you've committed, but it's about the nature of of sin that is born into every human. Adam, yes, he's the start of it all, but we're his offspring. We've been given the same spiritual heritage, if you will. And there's ample evidence for the doctrine of original sin in the world, isn't there? (laughs) Ample evidence in our own lives. 
illustration of this could be the physical DNA you inherit from your parents. You, you didn't choose your eye color. You didn't choose your hair color. You didn't choose how long your hair would stick around. <laughs> you didn't choose your personality traits. You didn't choose your natural abilities. Uh, it's just who you are as a result of your parents. So spiritually, Adam is our parent. He's our heritage. He's our lineage. Another illustration could be your citizenship. As Americans, we're part of a group. We're part of a nation. We may not like sometimes the decisions of our leaders, but guess what? We're all in this together, and when they decide they're going to go to war, we are at war, all of us. We're a part of the American group. Spiritually, we're born into the Adam group. We may not be the ones in the Garden of Eden eating that particular apple. But we are citizens of that spiritual nation created by that sin. And it's our identity when we are born. It's who we are. Well, let's explore that identity just a bit. The scripture says here that sin entered the world through Adam, which brought death and spread to all mankind. It's important that we see the progression. The sin of the first man released this death into the world, and it has infected all of us spiritually. We're, we're born actually dead men walking, if you will. And he's been saying this in so many different ways. Throughout the previous chapters, uh, chapter 3, verse 10 says that there's no one righteous, none, not even one. Chapter 3, verse 23 says, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. No one qualifies. And he makes the point here that death results in, from sin. Death is the result of sin. I would say it's always been that way, hasn't it? We have this ultimate relationship between sinfulness and death in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He paid the sentence for sin, which was death. I would offer you today that there's a cause and effect relationship between sin and death, and it's universal. Sin breeds death. I mean, just think about it. How many dreams have died because of sin? How many marriages have died because of sin? How many families have been broken up because of sin? How many careers have just died? Influence has just died. Because of sin. I'm here to tell you today, sin never works. I mean, have you tried that path? It just doesn't work. A lot of people think it does. A lot of people think, I'm going to walk down this road. I I think I can have all the fun in the world. I can please, I can just do all kinds of things. And it's going to work. Experience, statistics show us sin never works. Your pride, your selfishness, 
uh, even your pain, getting its way always brings death. It destroys. That's why next chapter, Romans 6.23, Paul says the wages of sin is what? Death. The wages. It's what it produces. It's the payment. The lives of those unchanged by Christ will be constantly living and experiencing this death until one day the physical body dies and they enter into an eternity of death. And in so many ways, I think that's what hell is. It's this constant awareness that everything good is dead to you. It's gone. It's an eternity of regretting the loss. You don't want to go there. It goes on in the chapter, verse 15, by saying this, but the free gift is not like the transgression. For if by the transgression of the one the many died, much more did the grace of God and the gift by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, abound to the many. The gift is not like that which came through the one who sinned. For on the one hand, the judgment arose from one transgression, resulting in condemnation. But on the other hand, the free gift arose from many transgressions, resulting in justification. For if by the transgression of the one, Adam, death reigned through the one, much more those who receive the abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one, Jesus Christ. Another important thing here about Adam before we leave him is this universal death is attributed to a single, solitary sin. I mean, that's reinforced throughout this passage. Verse 15 says, talks of one single transgression. Verse 16 says, one transgression resulting in condemnation. 17 reiterates the point that one sin is all it took. And, and really, there's, there's two theological points to be made here. The first is that God's holiness... God's completeness, his purity, he can't pass even on one sin. One sin is just, even one is not allowable. He cannot accommodate it. So he created Adam and Eve and it was to participate in his nature. It was to be part of his community, his koinonia, his fellowship. And the requirement was living in his very holy life. Sin. Just one sin. Destroys that fellowship completely. Adam's one sin. Passed on. Has made us who we are. When we're born into this world. But he makes this comparison between Adam and Christ and the point that I would make about Christ is this. Eternal life is attributed to a single solitary gift of grace. So the two have established these two spiritual conditions for all of us. Verse 15 says that the free gift of grace is nothing like the transgression. The sins of Adam have resulted in this condemnation. This destiny of hell. Whereas the gift of grace has resulted in justification, rightness with God, sins erased so we can have fellowship, be reconciled with the Father. Destiny of heaven. To complete the chapter, it says this in verse 18. So then, as through one transgression there resulted condemnation to all men, 
Even so, through one act of righteousness, there resulted justification of life to all men. For as through the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners, even so through the obedience of the one, the many will be made righteous. The law came in so that the transgression would increase, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. So that as sin reigned in death, even so grace would reign through righteousness to eternal life. As Christ our Lord. The good news today is that grace reigns. Grace reigns. Just think of that. Grace rules. It's, it's like king. It's like conqueror, victor, abundant provider. Grace reigns. And I don't know that anything sums it up better what being in Christ means than the expression that he uses here, the reign of grace. It says, it says that death reigned in sinfulness and it says grace reigns in righteousness. Grace forgives sins through the cross. Grace brings the very righteousness of God into us. Grace is the gift of eternal life. It satisfies the thirsty soul. It fills the hungry, the goodness of God. It pursues us even when we're resistant. It's determined to complete what it started in us. Grace reigns. Theologian John Stott, he sums up this passage like this. I want you to listen to this very carefully because it's going to make some comments at the end of this. It says this, he says, Paul has surveyed both the universal extent of human sin and guilt and the glorious adequacy of God's justifying grace in and through Christ. In so doing, he's led us both down into the depths of human depravity and into the heights of divine mercy. Here then are two communities. One characterized by sin and guilt. The other by grace and faith. And moreover, Paul has identified himself with the new believing community by his consistent use of the first person plural. He says, having been both justified, reconciled, all of us are enjoying peace with God, standing in grace, rejoicing in present sufferings and future glory, assured of final salvation and exulting in God through Christ by whom these blessings have become ours. Isn't that your experience today? (laughs) But here's my question. Does that describe most of the Christians that you know today? Are are most Christian people today enjoying a constant peace with God, enjoying His grace, rejoicing in the present sufferings, looking forward with great anticipation to future glory, just being overwhelmed with the blessings that this life of Christ has given to them? Is that the normal Christian experience we see today? And I guess the the follow-up question, if not, why not? If not, why not? Here's the reality as Romans has laid it out for us. There's only two spiritual conditions. And one is the sinful nation of Adam where death reigns. And the other is the joyful nation of Christ where his righteousness reigns. If we're in Adam, well, if if we're walking in Adam, no wonder we're depressed or mad or discouraged or negative or stressed out or backbiting or complaining. I mean, that's the nature. That's... Natural. 
But that's not the life we've been given. We've been brought out of the darkness into the marvelous light of Jesus Christ. So why do we have so many depressed, mad, discouraged, negative, stressed out, backbiting, complaining Christians today? And I can only come up with one answer. They have no idea who they really are. Does that make sense to you? They just have no idea who they are. They have a case of mistaken identity. They've received the gift of new life in Christ. They've been rescued out of that nation of Adam, brought into the glorious nation of Christ Jesus, but still think in some way they belong to the nation of Adam. As long as I'm a human being, I'm going to belong to the nation of Adam. Okay, so let me give you a test. This isn't really a fair test because if you've been around this church for more than a couple of years, you know the answer to this. So, we're just going to spring it on you new folks, okay? Which of these statements is true of a follower of Christ? First statement, I am a sinner saved by grace. Second statement, I am a saint who still has the ability to sin sometimes. Well, let me take out the second clause of each one of them. Which is your identity? I am a sinner. I am a saint. He's been around here longer than two years. Don't be troubled about calling yourself a saint because that's what the Bible calls you. And it's not because of anything you've done. Right? And when you say that you're not a holy one in Christ, you're saying more about what you think about what Christ has done than what you think about what you've done. Paul doesn't address his letters in the New Testament to the sinners at Corinth or Ephesus, does he? Who does he address them to? The saints. And the whole mindset of being a sinner saved by grace and attaching sinner as the constant identity of the Christ follower, it then accommodates sin, doesn't it? I'm just a sinner by, saved by grace, hanging on until Jesus comes. Hurry, Jesus, I keep sinning. Hurry. Steve McVeigh in his book, Grace Walk, he says this, Many Christians think that they can become all that they should be by changing the things they do. In reality, the opposite is true. It's when we understand who we are that our behavior changes. Doing flows from being, not vice versa. You don't feel you're a very good Christian today. What, what, what should you do? Most people start doing things to be a better Christian. More study, more church attendance, more designated prayer time, more accountability groups to keep me from temptations. <laughs> more reading good Christian books. I need to stop all this sinning. I need to change what I'm doing and start doing things different. Anybody ever tried that? Yeah, you're not raising your hands now, right? No way. I know you have. I want you to know how much chance that has in working out for you. Zero. And why is that? It's because you think you have what it takes to live the Christian life. You really think you will be the first person besides Jesus himself who has the natural ability to be righteous and you're out to prove it. That's the way Adam, that's the way this nation thinks. 
I can do it. The reality is this, only Jesus can live the Christian life. I hope we've come to terms with that. Only Jesus can live the Christian life. The good news is that when you come to Christ, He is given to you as a gift of grace. His life becomes your life. Colossians 3, 4 says Jesus is our life. We're not trying to be like Him because why? You... You can't. Now, some of us around here have immersed ourselves in this, what we call a grace walk for a number of years. I have, personally. There, there, there's, I mean, there's still times when we find ourselves trying hard instead of letting God. And I had to come to that realization in my own life recently. There's sometimes when I, I look at where we are as a church, I look at myself and I feel as though my, my leadership is inadequate. And there's those moments where I'm so, so tempted, I guess is the best word. My response is, I need to change what I do. I need to work harder. I need to do a better job. But there's this, there's this pursuit of God's grace that is just constantly on my life. He never gives up. He keeps pursuing. And he finds a way to reach me with this good news. Listen to this. This is great news today. It's this good news that I am inadequate. (laughs) Because when we say, I'm going to try harder, what are we subtly saying? I can do this. I can turn things. I can make difference. I. But as he affirms that I am inadequate, he affirms that he is all sufficient. And it's the good news that it's not up to you and I. The good news, this is not our church. His church. The good news is that I can't. He can. Put simply. And so... the. Question that we all need to wrestle with today is Are you a Christian still living like you were a citizen of the nation of Adam? And maybe maybe you just need to hear me say these words. It's not up to you. You can't do it anyway. Christ isn't depending on you, He's giving you everything that you need. He's done it all, He will supply everything. You might be here today and you're not a Christian yet. I would invite you to come to Jesus today, in this hour. You may think that I don't have what it takes to be a Christian. And I can assure you today what? You don't. None of us ever have. That's why he's going to give you everything that you need. 
going to redeem you. He's going to lavish you with grace. He's going to supply you with his life. You may think that you'll have to give up everything. Everything that you want out of life. And If I come to Jesus, I, I, I have all these hopes and these dreams. And Let me ask you a question. Who do you think has a better plan for your future? You or God? Why stay in the misery of Adam and Christians? Why stay living in this misery? You can know the joy, the fullness, separation from Christ because grace reigns. Amen. Pray today. Father, I just know that there are people here today who will Read a passage like this in Romans and hear a message like this. And uh, if they haven't come to Christ yet, there's this, there's this little voice in the back of their head that's just making them so unsure of their abilities to walk this road, their, their own sinfulness. Why would God want me? Their own waywardness, their own pride. Uh, I pray, Father God, for the seeds of faith to just blossom in their heart today, to realize that they're never going to get to a point where they're all cleaned up and ready for you. That's what you do. And I pray, Father, for that person that's struggling with the decision to come to you today, Father, that they would just let it go, that they would just drop their excuses, that they would just come to you and say, Lord, well, here I am. A sinner, inadequate, prideful, lustful, Greedy, whatever it is, here I am. I know I need you. I need you. Father, for the Christian that is here today who has struggled and just keeps resigning themselves to sin and keeps living under the, the weight of the world and the law of sin and death and discouraged and defeated and Oh, that only comes from trying to 